Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris. Today our passage comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. And we're in the first seven verses. So let's read our scripture and then we'll talk about it a little bit. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back, seeing. This is a great chapter. Chapter 9 is a really, it's, it's packed full of things. Remember our context a little bit, though. Uh, chapter 8, um, you know, you have the encounter with the um, adulterous woman. Right after that, Jesus goes into a um, a confession. It's one of his great I am statements. You know, he confesses to be the light, the light of the world. And there's a lot of theological connections in that chapter that we won't get into. Uh, but knowing what's in that chapter, it, it applies to what's going on here. It makes a lot of sense why John would follow up that teaching on Jesus being the light of the world with a story of Jesus giving sight to the blind. Um, Whether it's chronological or not, that's hard to say, but thematically, the stories really fit together. It's painting a very nice picture. It's solidifying the teaching of the previous chapter. Um, But there's no reason to think that it's not chronological. Uh, We're somewhere in between... um, you know the feast of booths and in in the upcoming feast so you know what is whether it's chronological or not again doesn't really matter the point is john is making his point this is how jesus is the light of the world this is maybe what one could deduce from that kind of teaching is that jesus gives sight to the blind now this is a a physical giving of sight but jesus also does this for us spiritually Those who are blind, those who are asleep, those who are dead, he gives light, life. We are able to experience a new world because of Jesus. And that's what's happening here in John chapter 9. So the big issue, maybe, maybe that's the way to put it, in in this chapter is the connection between sin and suffering. But I want to save that towards the end, and and, and we'll comment on it, but let's go through the rest of our verses, and then we'll come back and we'll end on, on that point. Um, so Jesus, uh, is passing by. That's kind of a, a pretty vague as to what Jesus is doing, but he's passing by. He sees a man blind from birth. Um, and that could easily be another connection to the spiritual blindness. We are all spiritually blind from birth until Jesus comes into our life. Uh, the disciples ask him who sins, him or his parents, because that is the very common belief. Uh, especially for Palestinian Jews, is that uh, when one sins, uh, one will suffer. There's direct correlation. 
and that's true uh, and again we'll hit that more as we as we work our way back around uh, and Jesus responds by saying uh, that it's neither of those cases the man nor his parents um, sinned but rather there's another reasoning this is happening now verses four and five um, don't miss these verses for the sake of the story you know or, or because of the story don't miss these verses yes this is a story of of Jesus giving sight to the blind, but something else is going on here, and, and Jesus is, is revealing more about himself, and it's really interesting the way he words things. He says in verse 4, we, plural, must work the works of him who sent me. He comes back to the singular. Um, so pretty interesting. We must work the ones, we must work the works of him who sent me. Uh, Jesus clearly identifies himself as the way here that he's you know he's going to be really explicit in that in chapter 14 but here he's he's kind of making that known as well i am the sent one in a sense jesus is saying here Uh, i I am the one we will work um but i am the one who is sent um and, and we do these things in the day night is coming when no one can work remember john loves this um this, this spiritual way of talking about good and evil, uh, of righteousness and unrighteousness, that becomes, you know, inexcusably apparent in the book of First John, where he just uses it over and over and over again. But in the Gospel of John, we get it too. We get it in chapter 1, we get it in chapter 8, and we get it here in chapter 9 as well. That there is the day, and that it can only be day when the sun is present, and that's what Jesus is kind of referring to here. He is the Son who brings, and that's S-O-N, uh, S-U-N, sorry, it is S-U-N. Uh, while the Son is there, it is day, and He is the S-U-N. Jesus is the Son. When He leaves, uh, night night will be here, and, and no one can work. Now, that isn't to say that we have now stayed in darkness, because Jesus goes on to promise in chapters 15 and 16 that the Holy Spirit does come in His place, and provides us guidance. So that is the guidance that we have in the night. We're not completely left alone in the darkness, but we have a guide. He finishes out this this nice little teaching, verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Really cool. I mean, Jesus is really identifying himself here. He's not holding back at all. And so after he says these things, he spits on the ground. He makes mud with the saliva he anoints the man's eyes with the mud. Um, it's unclear as to why Jesus is going to use mud. You know, he doesn't have to. It's, it's what makes this story unique is that Jesus actually uses mud. He, he has to uh, reach for something else, uh, maybe not in order, but at least to assist or provide illustration is, I guess, the point that I believe rings true here. Uh, to assist in this in this healing, uh, and it's really cool. This is pointed out by D. A. Carson that um, uh, Kostenberger, I'm sorry, in his commentary uh, with the ESV Bible, um, and I'm sure other commentaries hit it up hit it up too. But um, but that Jesus actually uses the mud as kind of like a recreating man. Remember that we were taken from the dust of the earth, and so it's Jesus reaching back into the earth to create that which was was lost. So it's kind of an echoing of God's creative activity, which I think is a really a really great way to look at it. In uh, Leviticus 15 verse 8, uh, 
actually you know states that uh, excrements from the human body like saliva would they're they're contaminants that that's what you know can create defilement make you ritually unclean but jesus does this anyway and it, i mean this just cements the point we have it early on in the gospels we've had it in john already that Jesus can be around things that we would typically think are unclean. He can be in situations that we would, at, at first thought, would say, oh, this is something that's um, harming me or, or imbuing me with unrighteousness. But that's not true for Jesus. Jesus can be around the lepers. Jesus can be around the sinners. Jesus can be around all these things that Jews believed contaminated them. And believed for good reason. It was according to God's law. But Jesus is not under the law. Uh, Jesus is above it in so many ways. And the fact not only that he gives it, but he cannot be contaminated by such things. Rather, he contaminates with righteousness. Is that a good way to say it? He, he gives righteousness rather than taking on defilement. He gives cleanliness rather than taking on uncleanliness so he his his saliva does not contaminate but rather restores uh, the woman with the blood disorder touches jesus and is clean is is cleansed jesus is not defiled she is cleansed jesus touches a leper and he's not defiled but the leper is healed that's just how jesus works you can't affect jesus with your unrighteousness uh, he is righteousness itself um, so it's a really cool way how that's kind of amplified here in these verses. Uh, but then he gives him another command. So there's, you know, sometimes Jesus doesn't give commands for healings. It's, hey, boom, you're healed. But this isn't the case. Not only is he going to pull from the earth, kind of recreate here, but he's also going to give the man a, a command. And there's a little bit of disagreement as, as to as to why, um, why Jesus is going to send him to the pool of Siloam and, and why even that John then has to include what Siloam means, because um, Siloam is actually a Hebrew word that's transliterated, yada, yada, yada. It means sent. Why include all this? And so there's a couple of theories behind that. Some people try to tie that to our baptism now. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I don't think that's what John's trying to do here. Um, so that's what we're left with. So the man goes back, washes, and comes back seeing. The miracle is done. And from this point on, Jesus kind of fades into the background for about the next 20 verses or more. Uh, and and why you think that the story is about the man, really it's, and this is what D.A. Carson points out in his commentary, um, that the, the man, the blind man here who, who now sees, the seeing man, I guess is what we should call him, uh, the seeing man um, is actually the stumbling block. The, the, the focus should be Jesus, but everyone's stumbling over what's happening with this man instead. So you might think that Jesus fades in the background, but really he is still the topic in the following verses. So let's go back to verses 2 and 3. The uh, disciples think it's uh, because of this man's sin, because of his parents' sin, that he's afflicted this way. And Jesus doesn't discredit that theory. And, and there's actually evidence for that in Scripture. And there's, there's maybe a good way to look at it. So Jesus never denies the fact that sin and suffering are connected in some way or another. Genesis 3 gives us all the confirmation we need that the two are connected. Sin and suffering do connect in some way. However, he does not acquit the thought that this ailment 
and this element of, of blindness and sin are connected, right? Jesus says that this instance of suffering was so that God's glory might be displayed in his life. Wow, that's powerful. We'll come back to it. The disciples assume, like most Palestinian Jews of their day, that sin and suffering are intimately connected. Rabbis often said that just as sin was linked to death, suffering is linked to guilt. You did something wrong. Paul wouldn't disagree. I mean, Paul makes these generalizations like this in Romans chapter 1 and 2, in Romans chapter 3, 10 and following. However, specific sufferings of an individual to, to what they have done, the correlation between an individual's sin and their suffering, that goes beyond the Bible's words. It can't happen. It's just not always true. For instance, Job, he suffers, but that's not connected to his sin. You're going to get Paul saying similar things in Galatians 4.13 and 2 Corinthians 12.7. So you kind of have to have this perhaps mentality. Now, perhaps I am suffering because of some sin. Naturally, most sins comes with come with natural consequences. But there could also be a spiritual suffering that takes place because of the sins that we've involved ourselves in. But we also need to play this even-handedly, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that because I'm suffering in a way, it's, it's tied to some sin that I've committed. So, just to clarify that, Jesus... Uh, speaks to this man's specific condition, condition, saying that this happens so that God's works might be displayed in him. So, our last point here. God uses us in big ways. Often ways we think um, might be unfair. This man was blind from birth for the purpose of God displaying his works in him. And that can be really uncomfortable because I don't know how many of us would be willing to suffer or even think it's unjust for someone else to suffer if it means God's glorification. Uh, That's kind of what Jesus' comment is here, is it it can slip by us. But what are we willing to lose so that God can be glorified? And can we be satisfied in that? I hope you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.